One, two, three, four. Welcome to another edition of the Happiness Project Podcast. My name is Mike, I'm your host, and we're talking about mental illness like it's a normal thing. We do it every episode of this podcast. I'm hoping the more we talk about it, the less of a stigma there will be, the less of a thing it will be, and the more it will just become a normal thing that we can talk about like anything else. For this episode, I wanted to continue the conversation about how we all survived the pandemic. You may have seen coverage in the media recently talking about the after effects of the pandemic and how a lot of experts are telling us we need to talk about it. This time around, I wanted to get the perspective of someone whose profession was really affected by the pandemic. Uh, We're going to hear about the experiences of a musician from the Toronto area who, like the person I talked about last week or the last episode, Sean, uh, is in the arts industry and basically found himself with almost nothing familiar at the beginning of 2020. We're going to talk to Jay Austin of the Hogtown Brass Quintet. Jay lives in Hamilton, And I'll tell you that he was key to working with the Happiness Project Mental Health Support Group that I run here in West Ottawa. Uh, Together with Jay, in November of 2022, we held a fundraising concert for humanitarian assistance in Ukraine. And thanks to the Hogtown Brass Quintet, who played at that concert, we were able to raise nearly $2,000 for humanitarian assistance for those living through the war in Ukraine. So, knowing him as I do, I thought Jay would be a great resource given his experience because it's nowhere near like what my experiences were like. I will say though that our conversation was much different than I expected it to be. Jay told me about a number of different mental strategies he used to keep himself on track as a musician and basically just as a person trying to get through a difficult time. It was a fascinating discussion, and we touched on a number of things, but I'm going to let Jay explain his story. Here's our conversation from earlier in September. The more that I've talked to people about mental health in the pandemic, the more I realize I just, I don't know, I don't know a whole lot because my experiences were mild, and I know a little bit about your story since I know you, but I'd be curious if you could just give the listeners uh, a rundown of why don't we start even before what was your life like before the pandemic absolutely um well thanks michael i'm really really glad to be here and and chatting with you um you know the pandemic came um right at the tail end so i mean i run this this brass quintet the hogtown brass um and in addition to that i play with orchestras in southern ontario um, or recording sessions and, th- and, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag career that, um, or a gypsy life as a lot of musicians will refer to it. Um, but it was busy and, and pre pandemic, uh, you know, the three months was probably the busiest I'd ever been. Um, but what that means typically is lots of long drives, 
lots of lots of uh, late nights, um, but it's really fulfilling work when when you start to to get into that track and you start to get calls from from better and better ensembles or when ensembles that you run start getting more and more calls, um, especially around the holidays. It's a really, really busy time of year. Um, but really, I think the overwhelming feeling was hope, right, that um, until the day that that's the, the style that your schedule holds, there's not it, hope is hard to come by because you're you're literally waiting for the phone to ring so that you can pay your rent. Um, and it, so hope was very um, plentiful, I think I would say pre pandemic in that I was busy and and the guys that I play with in the brass quintet, we were all quite busy. Um, and <clears throat> to speak about the quintet very quickly, you know, we, we had just had, I think we played 22 dates in December, uh, in 24 days. So we were, we were pumping, we were going, um, yeah. you know, we had plans to record in January. We had plans to do a lot of things with some of the, the income that we'd earned as well as an ensemble. Um, you know, and you, <laughs> you roll over the calendar to January of 2020 and, and there's this this virus that's in the news and as schedules continued to be busy people were getting a little more scared and concerts started to get postponed and then all of a sudden in march boy oh boy you know um it's hard to say that the rug was pulled out from underneath us because it was the news cycle and the news was was very loud about it and personnel managers and orchestra management was was quite aware um and the unfortunate reality is that I think the thing that saved us through the pandemic, this might be a politically charged statement, but was wearing masks, but you can't wear a mask and be a brass player or be a singer or a wind musician really of any kind. Um, and so it really, nobody nobody was prepared for it. Nobody knew what to do. And, um, and all of a sudden, everyone was sitting at home. Everyone was learning how to use digital tools and how to record from home and put ensembles together or learning how to record four five six parts yourself and mash them together to to just keep any kind of artistic output going um and and so it was really it was stark it was it was almost uh if you imagine the end of season fall off where you know in the summer just like teachers right musicians don't there's not a, as much work from from the end of june through to sort of mid-september um and so we expect to be not that busy through the summer um, but all of a sudden the summer started in March mm. and um, were it not for some of the supports from the Canadian government, were it not for the supports that were there, the, the networks, the Zoom calls that, you know, you get 15 people on there just so that you can see your friends. Um, it, it was a challenge and it was one that I don't think any of us could have possibly been prepared for. I, I told my, you know, I told listeners that I work for the government of Canada and I'll be more specific. I'm the person who writes on behalf of the Department of Canadian Heritage to these festivals that you were talking about when we want to express our admiration and our gratitude to the people who put these festivals together and the musicians and the actors and the artists and, you know, just the artistic professionals. So I'm the one that writes a lot of those on behalf of the minister. Maybe I'm breaking the fourth wall here. It's not really the minister that writes those, it's me. And I remember because I write hundreds of those a year, hundreds and, you know, my team were into the thousands and all of a sudden we're writing none. And it was really, really bizarre. Just yeah. all of a sudden had nothing to do. 
And yeah. Yeah, it was like it was like a switch that flicked, and that was it. Well, and I think the thing that that really stood out, at least for me, um, was that I didn't have a very clear line between my friends and my work. And, and it's really easy. I, I think, you know, a lot of musicians I, I've talked to about this say that a lot of the same things where as soon as everything shut down, it, it, we weren't keeping in touch with one another. We like, cause there was nothing to text or call about. It wasn't organizing carpools or dinners out between soundcheck and show it. And, and it became very isolated, incredibly isolated, um, very quickly. And, and, and that, outside of the, you know, the ramifications of a pandemic and, and the, the fact that we all had to stay home, right? Everybody's job got a little harder. Everybody's work changed 200% overnight. And, um, but, but to, to not have that social network, that, that ability to sit next to somebody and try to match your sound or to play with the the principal cellist you know that's that's a hundred feet away from you and you really have to listen those skills they, they they're social skills they're, they're not they're not skills you can practice they come with with time and they come with repetition and 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 that's that's largely why it takes a long time to get into the industry because you you have to be trusted as well um and and for that to change so quickly and then for the realization to come that like my friends are also my colleagues and that's a great thing to be able to say but then when your colleagues are no longer your your social network isn't even there for you to lean on whether you're having a good day or a bad day you're looking to celebrate or you're looking to commiserate it it really um i think that was probably the most stark thing that i had to come to terms with um did you find yeah. i don't know life became claustrophobic because i i'd imagine the, the life that you live as a musician you're going places, you're doing a lot of things, you have many different experiences, you go from that, especially as someone in the creative industry, you go from that to you're at home every day looking at the same four walls and you're doing something into a computer and you're trying to match this with, you know, like I, I've seen a lot of these matchups and they're incredible, but it's just not the same. Like, did you find you became claustrophobic at all? I didn't really find I, I became claustrophobic, but what I found was, um, it was almost like a lack of fulfillment because we we became a culture of consumption at that point in time, right? The only thing we could do was sit at home and watch Netflix or whatever your favorite show on your favorite streaming site is, or you're listening to podcasts or you're, you're listening to music, but you're not, the output wasn't there. And so I, I won't speak for every musician, but I listen to a lot of music that isn't classical music. Um, I find a lot of my own personal artistic inspiration from progressive rock or, you know, the symphonic metal, like there's a lot of really cool genres that can really light an idea up. And then, you know, that that's when you go into a rehearsal and you try things. And I found a lot of that inspiration that I found kind of fell flat because there was no place to go and do it um, or no humans to do it with. And that, again, it's, it, it, it wasn't claustrophobic more than it was maybe just a little stifling. Um, and then, and then that, that culture of lazy <laughs> sets in when the purpose of getting out of bed in the morning is to go sit on the couch or, you know, whatever the case might be for in everyone's unique situation. Well, in mental health terms, what you're describing, and I'm, I, I, I'm not passing myself off as an expert. I'm telling you what counselors have told me is inertia. It's something that when people struggle with their mental illness, it's inertia. And it, I'll go one step further and say it's comfortable inertia where someone would rather be inert 
in, in other words, do nothing rather than go out there and take on something and run the risk of failure. So in, in the pandemic, you know, the, the dynamics change a little bit. So what I'm saying is I think a lot of people stayed home because they were scared. And if I stay home, I'll be safe and nothing will happen to me. But then again, if you stay home and nothing hap- and nothing's going to happen to you and you're safe, you're also not opening yourself up to experiences beyond your everyday existence that could in fact be excellent and could be surprising and wonderful and lift your spirits. That's right. I mean, I'll I'll go, I'll go even one step further and I'll say, you know, the best part of my undergrad, um, I went to school in Toronto uh, at the university of Toronto and, and in, in that music program, you know, they, they go to great lengths to, to get their students access to the Toronto symphony, to the Canadian opera company, to the national ballet, to the Mervis shows. And there's always opportunities to go to sound checks or to go to shows at a discounted rate. And some of the best learning I did was sitting in a concert hall, listening to my, my teachers perform. And, and for that to also turn into this culture of consumption where there's still concerts for some or, 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 uh, ensembles, but they were on TV. Right. And so then it comes to well, like, do, do the speakers on my TV actually tell me what these people sound like? I know what they sound like. That doesn't sound like them. And so then there's a bit of you, you start to question yourself. You start to wonder, like, was I always nuts? Or is this different? And eventually, yes, like you realize it's different. And it for me, it took getting back in that room, which meant, you know, 2022, um, getting back in the room and really starting to realize that, oh, right, like this is this is a, a living and breathing thing that I play and we do and and to not consume it live. It's meant for live. Right. And and, and there are other industries, I think, that do a better job of, of representing what they sound like on recordings. Yeah. I think to, to try to represent a 120 piece orchestra with microphones is really hard. Like the best production people will tell you that's a huge monumental task yeah in and of itself at the best of times and then you get these orchestras with with barricades or 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 walls between every player or between every section i think the first concert i played back i was in a 20 by 20 box and my personal box was five by five and i so normally when i would play lead i would sit there and i would try to demonstrate for my second third and fourth player how i wanted them to try to match me they couldn't hear me and I couldn't hear them. And so all of a sudden you're relying on a sound guy, much in the same way that a rock band, a metal band, whoever, you know, you, the, the thing I, I remember hearing and, and chuckling at is that when Metallica goes on tour, they don't take a sound guy with them. And so you go to a stadium and that sound guy is responsible for what the audience hears. Hmm. And that level of production is what orchestra playing turned into for a couple of years. Um, not that it was necessarily bad that that's the way that it went. I think all of us are better players and our ears work a little differently now. Um, but there, it, from a mental health perspective, you, you sort of have to relearn the industry at that point. You have to relearn all these skills that have become so um, second nature, so so effortless, um, like like listening to the person next to you. <laughs> that's a really good point. You need to relearn a lot of the things that you take for granted and yeah. i i think and you know and i've said this to a lot of people my my experiences in the pandemic were pretty mild considering you know i've been through 
you know, the, the, the mental health challenges I have in my life. Like I actually wasn't terribly scared going into the pandemic because I joked with my wife. I said, Oh, geez, here's the global crisis. I was born for isolation. I can handle that. I, but yeah. the point you raise is the things that you take for granted in life, all of a sudden you're relearning everything. And so as a musician, you're relearning everything. And how can that not affect your mental health, your happiness, everything, when everything that you've worked for your entire life and everything that, you know, you've worked on for years, you've honed your craft, you're at this level, like you said, you're playing all these shows, you're part of this living, breathing ensemble, and all of a sudden you start from scratch. I, 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 I'm I, wondering, you know, for just from a mental health point of view, how do you, how did you, how were you able to overcome that obstacle? I'm not sure that I did, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, Michael. Um, and I, I don't think I'm alone in admitting to that. I think all of us were relieved when we were able just to go back to work in the way that we were trained. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of tools, right? Like learning to play with headphones in or on is weird, right? Relying on a monitor in front of you so that you can hear the other side of the orchestra instead of your your two ears, right? Like it really, um, it was a steep learning curve. And, and I think some, some shows went better than others. I think some experiences were easier to curate online than others. Um, but even the idea of matching everyone's different room sounds for some of those mashup videos, it, that's, that's not a skill. I mean, it's a skill that was easy enough to learn with the right motivation, but it wasn't a skill that, any of us really had, right? It was this the kind of thing that you learn in your spare time because it's interesting or you're a giant nerd or and I say that with with all the love in the world, right? Like I, I'm, a, I'm the biggest nerd in the world. Um, but it, 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 it was hard. I mean, I, I'll just say it, it was it was really hard, like for the for the barrier of entry to go from being good enough to get a phone call to then having it become do you know how to use these complicated tools? Have you figured out how to play with headphones on where you can barely hear yourself, let alone other people sitting in a box where you can't even necessarily hear the person next to you and you're relying on a sound guy to tell you what to try to match. It was a very weird experience. And, and from that mental health like the, or the, 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 the wear and tear on mental health in trying to keep your skills high and then going to work and having it be this entirely different thing than the 20 years prior it was it was very hard it was very very hard it would grind you down it it did at times um i think at a certain point again i can't speak for others but for myself it became a, a matter of acceptance and reframing um that that this was the way it was going to be um it's not going to be this way forever and so we can push back you know i had a lot of colleagues that would take their headphones off and they would be behind the whole ensemble, right? Because we were all playing with stuff in our ears. And it, and and that is a big part of the music industry. It's just not a big part of orchestral, classical orchestral music, right? Um, but for example, when Michael Bublé comes through town, you know, all of the musicians in, in his orchestra, they have in-ear monitors and there's a click track or there's, there's, there's a static pitch or there's just the, like, it's because when you have all those amplified instruments, you can't hear. And so you need that help. And that's very off-putting to someone the first time that they, that you do it. But those people had an edge because they were so used to doing it 
Whereas people like myself who are just sort of on that, on that, that right trajectory. And, you know, you're looking at maybe turning a profit in a year. And then all of a sudden it's, it's not even going back to ground zero. It's like starting your undergrad all over again and learning a bunch of new skills and trying to catch up to the people that have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years already. Sounds like a form of Darwinism or <laughs> maybe your industry, but a lot of industries where, like you were saying, the people who were the best of the best, like, and I'm thinking about what, what did I consume over the pandemic online? Well, I would consume, I consumed a lot of entertainment from the people that I knew. So the best of the best, the people who had the infinite resources to put together these amazing things online. But then there's, you know, the, there's the people who are at a certain level who don't have the resources, don't have the, you know, you, you don't have the millions and millions of fans. You don't have the, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of streaming coming in, you know, from Spotify. I mean, that, but that's, I, I would tend to think that's the vast majority of people. And what, Definitely. What do you do? <laughs> well, and I think, you know, the other thing that we ha that I haven't touched on necessarily, and, and I do think that this is a bad part of the industry um, where there's a, a culture of perfectionism, right? Especially, so there's a lot of people that participate in something called the 100 days of practice. And the point of the 100 days of practice is that you put your phone on your stand, you turn the video on, and you just play. And you post what you play that day. And if it goes well, awesome. And if it goes poorly, awesome but that that hurdle of of learning a skill and then trying to execute that skill and then saying i know we can do better but i'm going to post this anyways and there's there's fear that comes with that because you know you get the boston symphony putting out beautifully mixed and mastered recordings you get the uh i won't say the boston brass i like i, I listen to things outside of boston but you know all these these ensembles that that had access to a sound team and and that was the bear that was the line that was you know that's the fence post that's what you're trying to sound like and then it's it, it was it was hard it was very hard to hit publish on a lot of videos when there was a frame that was a little bit larger on one person than the other or or you know one note that you couldn't use the tools to really pull into into tune um it was it was challenging, but I think in the big picture, it got rid of a lot of angst over um, this culture of perfectionism that exists in that you don't always have to be your best. Obviously, you show up to a concert, you're getting paid to be there, you're prepared and you go and you execute. But as far as these recordings went, it's like I did see a shift in myself, but in a lot of my colleagues as well, where we had to acknowledge that we were starting from ground zero. We were learning everything in the moment, in the minute. And in order to stay relevant, you're hitting publish and saying, this is what we figured out to do this week. Yeah. Um, which it, it took a toll uh, uh, until there was that culture of acceptance. It was terrifying. The first time I posted a video that was not perfect. Yeah. Holy cow, Michael. It was, <laughs> yeah. there were beads of sweat just from hitting publish on, on my laptop, which I mean, that doesn't seem like a healthy place at yeah. all. And my thanks to Jay Austin of the Hogtown Brass Quintet for sharing some of his story about the pandemic. I'd like to continue this topic of how we all got through the pandemic and what we've learned through the pandemic from a mental health perspective. And I would like to apologize a bit. At the end of that conversation, we talked about accepting 
that things won't always be perfect. There was a little bit of audio problems during that Zoom call that I had with Jay. And it took me a long time to fix some of the audio and it's not perfect. And then I decided I'm going to take a page out of Jay's book and just accept the fact that it's not perfect. This isn't a professional production. I do all of this from a room in my house here in West Ottawa. So apologies if it wasn't the up to the usual audio standards, but uh, we'll live with it. And if you wanted to get in touch with Jay at the Hogtown Brass Quintet, the easiest way to get in touch with him is to go to the band's website. The quintet's website is hogtownbrass, that's one word, hogtownbrass.com. There you will find contact information for Jay and the quintet. And that's just about all the time we have for this episode. I did want to end, as I always do, by reminding you, if you are in distress or if you know someone who's in distress, make use of the services in your community. Some are free. Some of them you'll have to pay for. There are distress lines in some provinces. There is a national mental health distress line that will guide you to the right resources in the United States. Please make use of the professionals who can help you or can help someone you love. And if you wanted to get in touch with us here at the Happiness Project podcast, the easiest way is to find me on Facebook. Just type in Happiness Project Ottawa in your search. You'll find our Facebook page with links to my email address, which is happinessprojectottawa at gmail.com. You can also find our website, which is happinessprojectottawa.com. Dot Weebly dot com. Happiness Project Ottawa, one word, dot Weebly dot com. I know I'm throwing a lot of addresses at you. Just go to Facebook. Happiness Project Ottawa in your search. There you will find everything you need to know about our mental health support group and the podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who has been contributing to this discussion about mental health in the pandemic. I'm hoping that we can continue. Please let me know what you think of the podcast. And if you want to tell a bit of your story, I'd love to hear it. My name is Mike. We'll talk to you again. God bless.